listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. to Digital Noise. I'm Chris. I'm Aaron. Thank you so much for joining me again, Aaron. It has been a real <laughs> pleasure having you join the show. Uh, the pleasure is mine. I get to watch a bunch of weird movies and actually talk about them with people. So well, thank you. The, the pl- pleasure is definitely <laughs> all mine, and you're making my life a lot easier, too. I try. I try. <laughs> and we've got a, a crazy stack of stuff to look at this week of Blu-rays and DVDs, some of which we've done theatrical reviews for, but we're going to take a closer look at the, the Blu-rays. And other stuff is going to be brand new to you guys, including a couple uh, special box sets and an action movie that some people are calling the best action movie of the year. But uh, we have differing opinions on that. Yes, we will. Uh, uh, but before we get started, let me just say, uh, do the house cleaning. Please, if you will, Christmas time is coming up. You know that you're going to be buying stuff on Amazon.com for your friends, family, maybe even yourself. Please bookmark one of our links. You go on the actual page for this Digital Noise episode or any Digital Noise episode. Click on any one of the links for the Blu-rays or DVDs that we have pictures of on there. And it'll bring you to Amazon.com page for that. If you buy that item or if you buy any item from Amazon, as long as you start from one of our links, we get a kickback. And if you're doing all your Christmas shopping that way, that actually is kind of like a little Christmas windfall for one of us.net. There you go. Giving us a little extra money and you don't pay an extra thing for it. That's just Amazon's paying that money. <laughs> There's no extra charge to you whatsoever. But the real way you can help out more than anything, and I got to tell you guys, like I said, spirit of like Christmas and giving and all that stuff and Jolly St. Nick and, and I don't know. Thanks, Turkey. Hail Krampus. Huh? Hail Krampus <laughs> is to become a subscriber. There are four different levels of subscriber. Lots of bonus features for all of them. Uh, regular new shows all the time on there. Please become a subscriber. You're not just paying for that extra feature. Those extra features you are paying for just all the good podcasts that you love to hear on here. It's not like that money is only because we can't afford to do those special <laughs> features. That's because that money is there to support the entire website. That's how we keep running is your support. So please become a subscriber. Talk other people into being subscribers. Talk your mom into being a subscriber. Your grandmother, she doesn't even know what's going on half the time. Just talk her into being a subscriber. She'll never know. There you go. (laughs) I gotta say, so I listen to The Breakfast Pub every single Friday. It's one of the podcasts I listen to weekly and they've been doing a lot of commentaries here as well. Uh, In particular, Blair Witch. You can hear Chris be in utter pain as he watches a movie that he hates I hate with that, a man. passion so much. It's so much fun. I, yeah, it's if you got if you get some Schadenfreude out of watching me suffer, then Blair Witch is definitely one you'll enjoy. I'm not gonna lie, I kind of do. <laughs> Just recently, we did th- a commentary for Thor that was really really fun too. Yeah. So uh, anyway, there's that. And with that out of the way, let's get on to the reviews. Uh, and we're gonna start off with one of the films we did in fact talk about already on the website with the theatrical review. And that is Atomic Blonde, now out on Blu-ray. If you look, this guy's, this week will be your last chance. There's actually a contest at the top of the front page where you can win this Blu-ray right now. If you are a subscriber on any level, you can, you can put your name on there and, and win. Aaron's like, oh, I can't win because I'm, yeah. I'm a contributor for the site. I know. I'm, I, when I saw that pop up, I got a little crestfallen because I finally put two and two together for the first time. <laughs> I was like, oh, I can go. No, uh, oh. <sighs> 
the downside. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this, a uh, new Blu-ray of this film by director David Leach, who of course was half the team that did, brought you the first John Wick. This is his first solo directorial credit. And, uh, true to form, a guy whose specialty was doing stunts, when this movie eventually decides to get into stunts, it does it in, in, in action. It does yes. it in a way that's pretty goddamn impressive. Well, and so it's interesting. Uh, I wasn't with the site yet when you guys did the theatrical review, and this is one of the movies that came out right when my son was born, so I miss it in theaters. Mm. Uh, I knew that it was reportedly kind of unofficially in the John Wick universe, and I heard that there was a lot of boring up front and then a lot of great action, but I have to say, going into this, I was 100% sold on it. Oh, good. Now, uh, now, I admit I'm a child of the 80s, and yeah. so it's... It's basically 80s the movie. It's, it's, I was saying it's 120 minutes on MTV the movie. Yeah. Like, like in the 80s. Cause it's, like, cause it's all like that type of music. It all looks like the type of videos you used to see on there. The very yep. German influenced, a lot yep. of Bowie, you know, oh, a lot so of the, the band Berlin, stuff like that. It's just like, wow, it really has that feel. And, and I get liking it there was just a point i went like okay that is enough are we going to get to the action here or what well and so i didn't have that as much of a problem with that as uh, it seems others did although i will say that the whole spy the spy spy plot line yeah it it was unimportant i guess really yeah. like you knew everything that was going to happen it was a paint by the numbers it's the oldest yeah it's a spy spot uh, line uh spy storyline that's so Generic that it's even been in more than one James Bond movie as the <laughs> plot, true. which is basically that like somebody's got their hands on a list of all the deep cover spies, and now there's a fight to try and keep but, that from getting out. With Charlie's Theron as the titular atomic blonde badass spy who is going to work in uh, uh, Berlin, where she has to team up with James McAvoy, who's a very eccentric, puts it mildly <laughs> yeah, eccentric. That's a good unhinged. MI6 station chief there. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cool people in this movie. Uh, Eddie Marsan, uh, is like this defector that they were trying to protect. Uh, John Goodman is a CIA senior agent who's working with MI6, Charlie Theron in particular. Uh, Toby Jones, who has to be by law in every spy movie now, <laughs> uh, who's, uh, who is, uh, her, uh, superior. Uh, Sophia Botella plays undercover French agent who becomes her lover. And Ooh. sorry, that's, those are hot scenes. I don't yeah, know what to tell yeah, you. Yeah, they were. Uh, they're really, really I was going to say, I'm going to sound like a pig, but she's gorgeous. And she happens to be one of my favorite actresses kind of on the rise right now. It's she's doing some really interesting work. Yeah, yeah. With the exception of the mummy, but you know, hey. Yeah. And, and even that, I, I didn't really have a problem with her. It was just everything else. Yeah. I, I thought this movie until, like to a certain point, I was like, okay, this plot is m- almost mundane. It's so common uh, and unimaginative, but it has a great soundtrack. It has a great visual sense, but I'm going, isn't this by David Leach? And then all of a sudden the movie reminds you why it's by David Leach with one of the most intense action scenes you've ever seen in any well, movie ever. You're talking about the like 15 minute yeah. single cut that is a shootout, a fist fight that is one of the more believable and delightful on how exhausted everybody gets in it transitions into a car chase, mm-hmm. into a wreck, 
and then ultimately into this big climactic thing where people die left and right. It's it's a huge sequence. It's pretty amazing. It's worth watching this movie for alone, and it pretty much stays action from that point on. And there's even some pretty. I, it made me laugh. Twists at the very end. Uh, I was yeah. The, there are two big twists. There's a twist, and then there's a twist on the twist. The double twist. Yeah, and I admit the the original twist. I was like, oh come on, like yeah. Twenty minutes in, I figured that out. Yeah, but but then the twist on the twist was kind of clever. Was, and was awesome. like enough to go. We know you figured it out. Yeah, and you think you're so smart. Well, now yeah. here's the real twist. For, for <laughs> me, the the selling point and the moment I got into the movie, and I actually checked the time. It was about twenty three minutes in after the very first action sequence, and it's just a small little beat where two cops try and arrest her, mm-hmm. and she calmly pulls up her turtleneck sweater to cover her mask, and in a single shot just kicks the living shit out of them. Mm-hmm. And like, I was like, okay, cool. I'm in <laughs> whatever happens. I'm sold just From here on out. Sequence. You're like, does that scene work? <laughs> well, the Blu-ray uh, here has some nice supplements here, including uh seven and a half minutes of deleted, deleted and extended scenes. Uh, a four and a half minute welcome to Berlin that takes a look at uh, the city as it was in 1989 and how that plays into the film. Uh, there's blondes have more gun. Grown. Uh, <laughs> seven minute piece with Charlie's Theron talking about the role and what, what her experience was with it. Uh, four and a half minutes of Spy Master, which looks at David Leach specifically. <laughs> Anatomy of a fight scene, seven, uh, about almost eight minutes long, that is about that enormous, incredible fight sequence. Uh, story in Motion, which is animated storyboards for two different scenes here with uh, commentary by David Leach. There's an audio commentary by David Leach and uh, the editor. So it's really altogether a pretty solid package. It is. And- Actually, I checked out the anatomy of a fight scene, which was d- disappointing, mm. but then also the commentary, which was kind of amazing. Okay. And so it, I like both the special features. So it's worth it all. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. All right, so let us move on to another movie we also talked about already <laughs> in a theatrical review. But this is one one of the ones I was just super excited to get on Blu-ray this year, and that is uh, Wind River. I definitely, as I've gotten older, I've definitely become like a neo-Western fan. Yeah. Like in a way I never was. I mean, just, I'm a straight-up Western fan now, and I never was when I was a kid. I was like, eh, Westerns, whatever. It wasn't until I saw Unforgiven that I went, oh, huh. I kind of get it now and went started going back and watching more westerns. Wind River, while not a western of the period piece style, is definitely a western of the tropes, if oh, you will. And it's it's one of those movies that there's a lot of drama there, there's a lot of emotion in the story, and it's handled flawlessly. In fact, it has one of my favorite examples of uh parents dealing with grief that mm. I've really seen in film and the way uh the and actually, we're, we're jumping ahead of the plot. Right. Sorry, but uh, the, the girl who was murdered in the opening sequence, her parents, watching them deal with the grief of that, uh, it actually really got to me in the movie. And and I agree with you as well. It is a very poignant uh, se- sequence, and the relationship, bet- especially between Jeremy Renner and the father of the girl, has a lot of like resonance throughout the yeah. film, for sure. But said girl, yes, is the raison d'etre for the film happening. We see a Nate Young... Um, I guess Native American girl. Yes. Or she Eskimo. Yeah, no, 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 no. She's Native American. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're Which, not allowed to say Eskimo, or was it Inuit? 
Yes, it's yeah, but it doesn't matter because she's Native American. That's okay because there was a lot of conversation with my wife while we were watching this because Jeremy Renner is you know, Jeremy Renner, who's one of the whitest guys in the world, yeah, yeah. in a very Native American community. And the first half of the movie was my wife and I going, wait, 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 wait. Why is he so, not a Native so American? So he he was married to her, and then his daughter was this person, and then this person over there I think was his wife's parents, like, right? <laughs> Well, that's a, the thing. Despite being a very Native American community, Jeremy Renner, who is a, a local sort of like top-notch tracker, if you will, um, is uh, very deeply ingrained in this community that is largely yeah. not white, if you will. Um, and when this body shows up of this girl, uh, they call out, as you do, the uh, uh, FBI with a, a rookie agent because they – Probably just don't give a shit, like out yeah, in, the, it's in the, the frozen wilds of Wyoming, <laughs> played by Elizabeth Olsen, who really is definitely kind of like fish out of water. Yeah. Uh, but she is put in a position where the only real person who's there who acts like they even give a shit and want to help her is Jeremy Renner, who is a fish and wildlife service agent. And he, they form a team that you worry. I worried the whole movie. This is just going to turn into a dumb romance, and oh, it, the movie doesn't even hint at. Well, it. so th- there's one sequence where it seems like that's what they're going to go for big time, mm-hmm. where the two of them are in Jeremy Renner's house, and I had the exact same thing. So they're going like, just please don't kiss. Yeah, don't go. Please, don't. Please, yeah, please, just just don't. There's no reason for it. No. It makes no sense in the context of this movie, and it doesn't. Uh like a more bodies turn up and the two of them become determined to to find out what's going on and uncover the conspiracy, you know, locally involved, of course, and uh with certain amount of environmental impact that that has to yeah. deal with these, also- these people being found dead. I, I think this is by Taylor Sheridan, who, of course, uh wrote the tremendous Hell or High Water, uh, which is just I can't even begin to tell you how great of a, a film I think that is. Um, I'll, I will say I think it's better than Wind River, but this is remarkable in that this is Sheridan's first directorial debut as well. Yeah. Uh, and I think he really, for, for a first film as a director, I think he really knocks it out of the park. Yeah, so with the directing in the beginning, I was a little hesitant because there's a lot of... The only way to describe it is shaky cam. That's not really what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just handheld. Yeah. Uh, but as you really get into the story, there's so much that happens in the wide open plains or snow covered plains of Wyoming that that never really becomes an issue. And like, just let me get out of the way. I love this movie, mm. but I also admit that this movie is tailor made to fit tailor made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, it's the, the quiet, slow thriller. Yeah. That when action does happen, it's super intense and violent. That's the thing. This whole thing's such a slow build, yeah. a slow burn of like just a sense of unease. But man, when this thing towards the end finally explodes, it really is like, oh fuck. Like really, it's not an action movie. It's no. a wow, this is disturbing to watch. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it, it reminds me of something like uh, Sicario or yeah. like – Also written Thunder- by Taylor Sheridan, I believe. I believe so. Yeah, but I also think- like Thunderheart way back in the day, which was the Val Kilmer one. 
that I dug back in the, back then are like White Sands. Yeah. That kind of slow thriller that's just obscenely violent and really engrossing with mm. great characters. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is a top-notch movie that I don't think is probably going to make it to the final 10, big 10 for the Oscars this year, which is a shame. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I feel like it should get some nominations this year. I don't yeah. know if it will. Uh, it'd be cool to see Sheridan as a first-time director get a Best Director nod. I uh, wouldn't be surprised if it got a screenplay. But either way... Well worth watching, despite the fact there's almost nothing here on the disc. There's like a video gallery of 10 minutes behind the scenes stuff, you know, whatever. And then three minutes and 11 seconds of deleted scenes. There's not a lot here. This didn't perform enormously well in theaters. And I think that was the fault of the marketing company who just did not push it at all. It's amazing oh. they spent, these companies spend so much money pushing a giant piece of shit like the snowman. <laughs> and then w- this, nothing. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I really want to see The Snowman now after Ugh. all the hate I've heard of it. I, I'm not going to be asking for the Blu-ray. I'm just warning you now. So, yeah, you'll have to uh, seek that one out all on your own. I have a feeling they'll take whatever money they can get. I'm sure it'll be on Netflix, Hulu, <laughs> Amazon, everything. So, anyway, yeah, that's Wind River. Highly recommended. Uh, next up, we have something that was not indeed on uh, a previous review, but, uh, is about all right. So here's the thing. Um, those who've been listening to me for a really, really long time know that I was an old uh, punk rocker, really, 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 really into punk back in the day. Kind of gothy punk with a little bit of hippie and metal on the side. <laughs> you know, all kind of crashed together. But one of my one of the bands that really got me into like hardcore punk rock was Bad Brains, who were originally out of DC and they moved around a bit. But they were all African-American band that was the fastest, hardest, tightest thing I had ever heard in my entire life. I mean, seriously, go back and listen to their, their, their second, their first or second album. Uh, second one is their, I think the best thing they ever did, Rock for Light, which is so blisteringly fast, yet note perfect, like not sloppy in the slightest. You'll just be like, what the fuck? Is this on the wrong speed? You know, <laughs> uh, it blew me away at the time and became like a real a, a big part of my, you know, late teenage years, if you will. And the lead singer of this band was known as HR. His real name is Paul D. Hudson, but HR, which apparently originally stood for hunting rod, which was like used to carry around this big stick. He was not the least violent person in the world. Oh. Uh, and then later on, human rights <laughs> uh, is a very strange human being. And this documentary, HR, Finding Joseph, is all about, like, what a complex struggle this guy has had with mental illness over the years. Well, so, I, I come at it from a very different place. I don't typically dig punk that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the musical side, I had no idea who he was, no idea who any of the, the bands were. And while we were watching it, it was interesting just... Any kind of music documentary I find interesting. I really liked uh, a band called Death, and it was that same thing. Right. Uh, and I, I started enjoying the reggae slash punk aspect. Yeah, he definitely turned more into a reggae musician. And, and it was interesting. When I was watching this with my wife and a friend, and while we were watching it, we were going, you know what? It, it feels like... Like, he's not just crazy. Like, he actually has something going on. He may, he has some kind of condition. Yeah. And when it comes out that he does indeed have mental issues, that last half to th- two-thirds of the documentaries where I really got into it. Well, that's the thing. Is watching him deal with that. And I, a, 
I felt the first two thirds of this. It's not the whoever's making this doesn't seem like they even really give that much of a shit about the music. They're not really. They're much more interested in, in him and his struggle with his mental yeah. illness. But they wait for so long to get into it. There's a point I was like, God, this is so fucking mundane. And then finally, they're like, Why is this guy? Like, he's not showing up for gigs, but then whenever he does get money, he just gives it all away, and you're like, and yeah. he's wandered around filming himself, talking to himself on the street. You're like, wait, what is going on? And yeah, like a real struggle with like, like, I think it's, he actually had schizophrenia. Yeah, schizophrenia, and is still, you know, deeply severing, despite now being married to, to a much younger woman Who's who loves, seems to love the shit out of thankfully him. Thankfully, support is all, is all hell. Yeah, and lots of support from the music scene, because uh, there's a lot of people who still love him from that. But, I mean, this is interesting. I don't think it's a, if, if you're somebody who's more interested in, I think you, if you're more interested in mental illness, this is going to be more interesting than if you're like a big fan of any of the bands he's done, because it's not, it's not going deep cut into any of that stuff. So, and the problem with the mental illness side of it, though, is like you said, they they hold it for the th- <laughs> uh, for the third act reveal. Yeah. And in this sense, it it makes the first two thirds just kind of they just kind of sit there. Yeah. And so, like for most of it, I, I was it's just very mundane. It's I very kind of dozed a little it's bit. It's like a TV episode of a show that like on VH1 that's like has a weekly history yeah, of a band. Type exactly. Thing. You know, you're like, okay, there's nothing really special yeah. about this. And so it's yeah, it's not until that last third when the wife comes into play and she starts talking about his mental illness. Yeah. Once you have that framework, it does retroactively make the previous third more interesting. Yeah. But it it's still happening after the fact. Agreed. Like it. And, and yeah, yeah, Anyways. it's okay. Overall, exactly. it was a little dull, but that last twenty minutes or so, I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, you, you actually start to feel sorry for him. It's funny when I was living in Richmond, Virginia, he was living there at the time, and I was kind of excited. I was like, oh man, I'm they're, they're actually a strange. There was like a, a couple different big musicians living in Richmond at the time. Like I remember David Lowry from uh, Cracker and uh, Camper Van Beethoven was there, who was like a big huh. both those bands I loved. Never got a chance to meet him either. But there were a couple other people here and there. Uh, I actually was good friends with uh, David Brocky from Guar, who played the lead singer <laughs> Guar. He was my next door neighbor. I used to sell him weed. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, it's the sorry cops. The uh, statute of limitations already passed on that one. <laughs> but um, which is why you talk. About about it on air. But I never met HR and people were like, don't, if you see HR and I did see him, don't go up and talk to him. Don't try to talk to him. I'm like, why? He's like, cause he's fucking batshit crazy and he will attack you. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, he's really violent and he does not like white people. You know, and he, this documentary doesn't even touch on that yeah, it didn't at, at all. all. It doesn't paint any of that. And I don't know, maybe some of that was like the gossip game rumors getting out of hand, but a lot of Rastafarians aren't crazy about white people by definition, sure. kind of. So I'm like, I wouldn't be surprised if that had played into some part of his life, but this documentary does not touch on that. No, it doesn't. There's a lot of things for, for black people to hate about white people, yeah. so I can't totally blame them. Well, well, yeah. Let's face it, white people kind of suck a yeah, lot. but They do. We, we, we have a history of suckitude. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so move on. Another movie. I did not see this in the theater when it came out, but we had other people on the review. Now that I've seen The Glass Castle out on Blu-ray, I'm here to review The Glass Castle. Castle out on Blu-ray. This uh, movie based on uh, journalist Jeanette Wall's 2005 novel at the same time about her bizarre fucking childhood with her parents uh, where basically they were squatting from home to home and living in poverty with a couple of hippie parents and her eventually coming to the point of just 
deeply resenting them for giving her and her massive group of brothers and sisters that kind of a childhood. Like you probably would. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But then also kind of coming to terms eventually with the fact that, like, look, there's they're, you know, mildly mentally unbalanced people. And they didn't mean to be harmful. It was just, it was probably had a lot to do with, well, almost certainly, as we see in this movie, had a lot to do with the way they were raised, which yeah. was, they're certainly, you look at their parents that you meet in here, you're like, wow, you are a saint compared <laughs> to your parents. But this new film takes that uh, Jeanette Walls role, role and gives it to Brie Larson, because quite frankly, Brie Larson can have whatever she wants. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, with, of course, two different act- actresses playing her as teenager and then as as a smaller child here, who I, th- I thought were both pretty good. Uh, Woody Harrelson plays the crazy dad uh, with Naomi Watts as the crazy mom. <laughs> and, like you, do. <laughs> you know, it feels like this should have been a lot more enjoyable than it was. So, but before I started this movie, my wife, who's actually read the book, and... Oh, she was uh, excited to see it. Yeah, she was, and as we were getting into it... <laughs> was being the, well, the emphasis on that. No, no, no. Like she, she thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It's just that this, while Wind River is like the kind of movie that's tailor made to me, mm-hmm. this is the kind of movie that I just don't watch normally. Uh, just about that, like, really fucked up situations and that real world aspect of it. And so she told me before the movie started, like, hey, fair warning, um, and I quote, there's going to be some fucked up shit that happens. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's not into- like, it's not like getting into like incest and bloodletting no. or anything <laughs> like that. You know, it's more like, Fucked up family dynamics, well, you know? I mean, I mean, technically, a little bit, but, uh, <laughs> with, with, with the grant, but, uh, yeah, okay, but not, you know, <laughs> but yeah, but immediately no, no. called out is like, no, you don't get to do that. But no, it's, it, uh, it's like, I enjoyed the movie. It was just, uh, like, Woody Harrelson was great, Brie Larson was great, Naomi Watts was great. The actors and actresses were phenomenal in telling mm. the story. It's just that it's it's a fundamentally painful and hard to watch story about someone who had a really troubled childhood. I mean, the opening scene is her mom too distracted to cook them lunch after three days. And so she catches herself on fire trying to make hot dogs for the whole family at the <laughs> age of six, I think. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was just a struggle. It, it was enjoyable, but... It felt like if we were to... It felt like this movie... Didn't go far enough with showing, like, the moments why she specifically had a feeling resentment towards them. And it didn't go far enough with the moments that were actually, because of who they were, joy causing. Because you see that they're trying to get at that. Like, there's scenes where you're like, okay, you never would have had an awesome experience like that with normal parents. But they don't really manage to give you enough of a balance. So, by the end, you're just like, fuck those people. Yeah, there, there's no real wonder. Yeah. Although I will say, though, it was nice to see, uh, and I always forget his name, the actor who plays Schmidt from New Girl. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Who has become the uh, the side character in like two-thirds of the movies I've seen in the last year now. Yeah, everything. Yes. Why is it ca- – I can never remember his goddamn name. Oh, Max Greenfield. Max Greenfield. Yeah, yes. who is, keeps popping up and stuff because he's super talented. Yeah. I love Miss Schmidt on New Girl. Yeah, too. Um, this is actually directed by Destin Daniel Creighton, uh, or pro- Cretton, probably. I probably doesn't like yeah. to be called Creighton. Um, <laughs> who, the reason I bring that up is because he worked with Brie Larson before on her big breakout film that he wrote and directed, Short Term 12, which is a considerably better film than this, and I highly <laughs> recommend checking it. it out. 
It's really good. Uh, the, the Glass Castle, like I said, a mixed bag. 127 minutes is way too long for this shit to go on. By the end, I was like, I admit, I was checking my phone, going like, come on, what is this oh, going to be over? It feels like the definition of Oscar bait movies. Yeah, except you know? it it's not good enough to be no. one. Uh, there's extra features. There's about 26 minute, a memoir to movie, which looks at that uh, adaptive process. There's a, uh, 15 and a half minute conversation with the real Jeanette Wells. There is a uh, brief piece that profiles a song from the film called, uh, Summer Storm by Joel P. West. Uh, there's another brief piece, four minutes about the score in general. And there's about a nine and a half minutes of deleted scene. So it's actually a halfway decent package of stuff. Yeah. If you care, if you're into that, thing. I don't, I, you know, whatever. What did your wife ultimately think? Cause you said she was like, I don't think this is going to be for you, but how did she feel about it versus so, having read the book? Yeah. So, so she enjoyed it. She, she got a, uh, something out of it. Although I think what I saw with her, was that there was more in the book that, that painted that clearer picture of the family. So both the lows were lower and the highs were higher. Okay. Uh, it, it's it's hard for me to go, I wish there was more, because based on what she told me, it would have been interesting. Apparently the family uh, went back and like left the kids with the grandparents on multiple occasions as well, like there was a lot more who of that. Were, who were much more of a problem who than were, yeah. the parents themselves are. But <laughs> so, but not having read it, I couldn't see the difference. But she thought it was enjoyable. Was okay. her word? Well, our next movie I enjoyed considerably more because it is totally up my alley, which is like a early days of forensic science versus a serial killer movie with Bill Nighy as a kind of gay Sherlock Holmes called the Limehouse, <laughs> Limehouse Go- uh, Golem. Now, this is not based in, in no matter how much this really did feel like, is this based on a real story? I, I had to double and triple check. I was like, is this based on anything that actually happened? And it is not. It is based on a novel that is speculative yes. and involves real life people. Well, and what's weird though is that from, I was, we're looking at some of the special features. It's based on a novel that is seemingly very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way they were talking about it, the Bill Nighy character was a minor bit part in the novel, not actually the major character at all, hmm. which actually made me want to go back and read the book just to see how it's different. Me too. The, the movie has gotten good reviews, not great ones. Whereas the book is one of those that's like, I've always heard is on one of those must read. If you love this sort of thing, kind of like the alienist, uh, which is one of my favorite like mystery novels of all time, uh, which is very similar type concept Uh, here in uh, Victorian London. There's been a series of really, really awful like serial killer murders. um, And they're, they're kind of signed them off to Bill Nye's character who has been, discredited the police department because it's come out that he's a bit of a poof. And back then that was not cool, which it took me like half the movie to actually figure out. That's what everyone was alluding to. Right. Yeah. Okay. Fair totally enough. missed that. I, well, because he doesn't, it's not like the movie ever plays it up. It's just like, it's, it's nice. Like, oh, to. honey, don't be killing people. <laughs> it's nothing like that. Don't behave. <laughs> It's not like he's wandering around on Pride Day in Victorian England with a cocksock. <laughs> uh, Although I would pay good money to see Bill Nighy do that. Uh, he ends up being, like, basically given this case because they're all like, I, I don't, I don't, there's no, we're never going to figure out what's going on here. Like, well, let's get, throw this off on this guy. It's a piece, it's a publicity move. Like, look, we're doing something about yeah. it. And and they know they, they have a feeling they're not going to be able to do anything because honestly, they're like, this is the type of murder we don't know what to do with. Like, it seemed like insane person killings. 
uh, and there's evidence that it's connected somehow to uh, Jewish mythology, the so-called golem, which is the, the general people start believing that yeah. that's what the thing is. And there's also this crossover thing with like there's a music hall star and we get from the beginning she's been accused of uh, like she's been accused of murdering her husband with poison on the same night as the last golem murders. And he starts finding connection that links her dead husband to the final set of golem murders and starts believing because really his motivation is, is less to solve the murders for in and of itself than it is to prove that the husband of this woman who he believes is innocent uh, of killing her husband, like to prove that he was the goal, the, the golem. And if she did kill him on purpose on any level, then it was because she knew, <clears throat> which that was my favorite aspect of the movie is it was kind of fun to watch effectively a murder mystery where the the killer is dead in the opening scene right. and they're posthumously investigating the murders. That was actually really cool. Yeah, it is an inter- real interesting way about going about it. And also um, really loved Olivia Cook here, who is definitely one of the more interesting up-and-coming young actresses right yep. now. Just saw her in a movie at Fantastic Fest that's getting a wide release soon. Well worth your time uh, with her and Anya Taylor-Joy called Thoroughbreds, a really nice little dark and twisted sociopathic murder thing. Um, but yeah, she's the Elizabeth Cree and does a, a, a really, you don't even know how good she is at, at it until the end of the movie. You're yeah. Just like, wow. it's, it's interesting. I both, I didn't like a couple of the turns that the movie took. I felt they were a little predictable, but everything about those turns, I actually really enjoyed. Okay. Yeah. And like, like the way all the actors portrayed their characters, her especially, just, uh, they did such a great job, even though I was like, oh, well, I kind of thought that would have been the case 30 minutes ago. Yes. Uh, and they team him up with like a sort of like, you know, a cop that's, uh, looks like he's like not thought of that much of on the force. One of those guys, nothing really wrong with him so much as people like just, you just don't think about him. He, he's kind of like the, the Gomer Pyle type character yeah. who. He's not dumb. He, he's, he's just. just He's a just cop. there. Yeah. He's, he's assigned to him and it's kind of like, and it's not, I was expecting them to do a thing where he was going to be prejudiced against him because of his reputation. And he was like, I don't care about any of that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really want to solve this case. Uh, Eddie Marsan has a brief role in this. Uh, there's one of the funny things is they have a series of suspects based on, uh, who had checked out this book that the killer had written all these notes in, um, in the reading room of the local library. And one of the people was Karl Marx. Who has, <laughs> and they keep doing these sequences where they, the detective is envisioning each person being the one committing a murder and which get very grisly, those sequences. Huh? And, uh, yeah, it's like four real life people, Dan Lano, George Gissing and John Cree and Karl Marx. And so watching Karl Marx, like sardonically murder and tear up a person was like, okay, that was weird. Well, I, I love the bit afterwards where, He's asking Karl, Mar- Karl Marx to read the uh, the journal entries, and this is after Karl, Mar- Karl Marx has gone. <laughs> I can't say it. Uh, after he's gone on and on and on about the persecution of the Jews, and is reading the letter and gets to the part where the diary entry blames the Jews, mm-hmm. and he just goes, "You know what? You didn't do this." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like right there. It's like, "Yeah, not you." Uh, Alan Rickman was originally going to play the lead in this, really, and then of course. 
he huh. had cancer and was like, yeah. I cannot do it. Uh, but this was written by Jane, screenwriter, very famous screenwriter, writer Jane Goldman, with a huge career of like hits behind her, who apparently had read this well before she was even a screenwriter. And it was one of those like dream projects. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get one of these days. I'm going to have enough clout that they'll let me make this. And uh, there you go. So she did. And I thought this was, a, like I said, pretty solid. There's a making of, there's a look at the cast, the look of the thing, the locations, a photo gallery. So a few extras, they're not very, they're just EPKs, basically. A total of like 15 minutes added up altogether about. But regardless, this is a film that may not have been on your radar. And maybe if this sounds like your sort of thing, I think it's something you'd really enjoy. Yeah, I think it'd be good for anybody who's a fan of kind of those BBC miniseries or holiday specials that they do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it... It didn't feel like a big budget theatrical movie to me, no. but it felt like a really damn fine made for the BBC special production. And it is another one of those things that kind of has a double twist where you're like, oh, come on, I knew that. And then it's like, oh, but did you? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I was actually kind of surprised. Although I will it. say that, the, the and I'm not going to spoil what happens, but it ends with a particular bit that I thought was both kind of interesting and funny. Like I went, huh. But then at the same time was so flippin' weird and out of nowhere that I wasn't quite sure how to take it. Yes, I know what you're talking about <laughs> and I agree. Uh, but yeah, it's a beautiful looking film, for yeah, sure. It is. Alright, so we're gonna go to the big box set this week, and that is the George A. Romero Between Night and Dawn Blu-ray set. Now there's no movie called Between Night and Dawn. Uh, what that's referring to is the movies he made between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Obviously, the first two movies in the zombie trilogy, which now, I guess, is a quintilogy or some shit. there's five of them? There's more than that. Six? It's like six six or seven, yeah. Okay. Uh, Anyway, the problem with that is, rather than include a masterpiece that was the one film not in the set between those two things, like the movie Martin, which still doesn't have a really good Blu-ray release, no, that's not in here. What you get is, look, all right, we'll start with the crappy stuff, the really crappy stuff first. <laughs> uh, like the one that even he in the bonus features says, this is shit. Why are we even yeah. talking about that? This movie, There's Always Vanilla, which he made in 1971, his second motion picture and a romantic, because a romantic comedy, it's romantic dramedy. It's, it's, it's a, much yeah. like the second one. It's dealing to some degree with like gender issues and feminism and like, like, like the difference between men and women and, and it does it in a, such a messy disorganized. So what's your point yeah. sort of way? So I'm, I'm going to make a comparison and it's going to make this movie sound better than it is. Uh-huh. It reminded me a lot of blowout. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. All right. Except not good. All so right. like, like that, cause Blowout is famously a movie that doesn't really have a story so much. Like, sure. things just kind of happen. And we kind of move throughout this character's day as he just kind of goes from thing to is thing. Is it more the thing. Brian De Palma one or the, the Mastrio, Mastriani one? Uh, the... Uh, I thought it was Godard. Was it Godard? I, I thought... Maybe it is Godard. Yeah, 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 yeah I think you're uh, right. Think but, you're um, right. but, yeah. So, it has that feel, but... One, you can very much tell that George Romero is still learning how to be a director. Oh, yeah. There's, there's a lot of amateurish camera work here. And two, the, the script is just kind of shit. Like, so which, which he did not write. Watching this, this set of movies is when I realized that I don't actually like George Romero as a filmmaker. I just like his Up the Dead movies a lot. <laughs> yep. And like those, I, I, except for one, I like them all to a greater or lesser degree. 
But, oh, my God, getting through this movie was hard. Yeah, it's like this guy, Raymond Lane, who also plays one of the leads in the next one from the set, uh, but the only two films he ever did for Romero. He's a former army soldier. Now he's a drifter. He's done everything from pimping to just playing busking with his guitar. Uh, he comes home to Pittsburgh, uh, like, hangs out with his dad and hooks basically yeah. hooks him up Gets with a hooker. Gets his dad late. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but even so, dad's like, you got to stop being a stupid hippie and uh, come back to the, the family business of operating a baby food factory. And he's like, no, dude, I'm a hippie now. And uh, he meets... Uh, Judith Riley, uh, named Lynn here, although she's, uh, who's, uh, actress went on for, for bigger stuff, but she's billed here as Judith Striner, who's gorgeous, no question. She's like a model and an actress, and he meets her by, man, the, the shit that now since has been a, called out as it should be that was in like that book, The Game, which oh. like, oh, you really want to hook oh, yeah, up with yeah. a beautiful woman? You gotta treat her like shit. You gotta, you say something nice about her, and then you immediately turn around and well, you say something shitty about her. So the, the, that's the thing that I noticed watching these three movies. Is that Romero, for all that he has made a career off of making movies that say something about our society and are culturally aware, if you look at just these three pictures, oh my god, his sexual politics are all out of whack. Yeah, there is some fucked up shit towards women happening in these three movies. Yeah, and it feels like he's trying to say, like, find a positive way in, but even he doesn't really know what he's talking about. Now, in his defense, he didn't write this. Sure, sure. Uh, this is the only one of the three he didn't but, write, but, I believe. And, but admittedly, but, in the same time, there's scenes in the other two as well that he yeah. did write that, that bugged me. Well, he's, uh, like, hooks up with this girl... Uh, he turns into a total freeloader on her and then acts like an asshole about it when she starts to point it out and takes advantage. Basically, just emotionally abuses her for even, like, noticing, hey, you're not contributing here in any way. And she's covering up the fact that she's pregnant. And Which he tries to get a real job and he just couldn't care less. And basically, he all, all but ruins her life before she gets smart enough to get away from him. Uh, and, and unfortunately, every single character, like, even her, for all that she's clearly the victim here... Every single character in this movie is a selfish bastard. Yeah, nobody like, like, is like Even the way she tells him that she's pregnant, when I was watching it, it actually dropped my jaw. I was like, what? It, 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 is that how you're telling him that you're pregnant mid-fight like that? No. Yeah. In fact, the only reason I own this is for one of the extras on it, uh, which is about 16 minutes long, called Digging Up the Dead, The Lost Films of George Romero, where he spends his time just talking shit about all these films. So you're yeah, kind of like, did. where you're like, that's why do we even have this? Yeah. <laughs> if this is like, and once again, why didn't you get Martin, which is actually a good movie, but there's an audio commentary. There's a making of 30 minute making of Jesus Christ. Really? Uh, there's image <laughs> galleries. There's not a huge amount on the first disc. Uh, the second one is season of the witch, which is, I say in the most faint praise possible terms is better than there's, uh, some, something about vanilla or whatever. There's a uh, always vanilla. Uh, and no, don't get excited. This is not a horror movie. It's, no. it's a, it's a movie that once again is kind of about gender politics and a really fucked up, you don't really get this, do you sort of way. Yeah. But that uses witchcraft as sort of like a fulcrum point to discuss feminism and how women are re retreating from society uh, into whatever they can find because of the way they've been treated, that they're starting to become a more self-aware that that's not okay, but it ham, which seems like it'd be really feminist, but yeah. it totally ham hands the whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, there's a bit at the end where you hear a cop talking about uh, the main character and just like the, 
having subtitles on it again floored me that it was such like some of the most sexist stuff ever. But yeah, I will have to say though, uh, above there's always Vanilla, which is just shy of unredeemable. Yeah, there's no this reason This one at least is interesting because you can tell that he's gotten into his 70s new wave and is trying to make this art film. There's a ton of dream sequences. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it, the only things that are even vaguely horror are the dream sequences yeah. and the only, you know, despite a, a, I guess, for lack of a better term, shocker ending, which is basically because this woman's kind of unhinged because of her, her nightmarish <laughs> dreams. But... It is not enough to make it on any level of horror film. No, no. She's like, like her husband is a shit and he's gone all the time. And she starts, she finds out one of her fr- local friend of a friend is into witchcraft. And so she basically starts getting into it herself, which, which makes her convinced that she's somehow gotten this local guy, uh, like hot, but obnoxious guy who is the hot, but obnoxious guy from the last movie I was talking about to, Come start sleeping with her. He's like a local university intellectual who is completely full of himself and the most want to smack oh. the, the smack his like Meerschaum pipe out of his mouth as way as possible. And, and I have to say though that the inciting incident that causes everything to unravel in her life and drives what little plot there is forward is that she comes home after having a horrible kind of dinner experience with her daughter and this this uh, neophyte. Here's her daughter having sex and doesn't kick down the door and scream at them. Mm-hmm. That is why her daughter runs away and why yeah. all this shit happens. And I kept going like, but like, I, I don't think she did anything really that wrong. <laughs> it's, it's very strange. This movie, like I said, a little yeah. bit, there's a little bit more to th- like solid to chew on here than there was in the last one, which was a totally disorganized mess of a movie. But even so, you're like, this feels like a, a comp- like a twenty five percent finished idea that was, like they went ahead and started filming it anyway, which I, I think is say, more or less true. Like maybe if you had some of that weed you sold like thirty years ago, <laughs> then like smoke it up still, then watch this movie and you might get some enjoyment out of it. But uh, the Blu-ray comes yeah. with audio commentary. Uh, there is a extended version available on here as well. Uh, that is like basically inserts from an old SD tape master so they don't look as good here. Uh, there is a ro- nice feature. The best thing on here is an hour long when Romero met Del Toro, which is just a conversation between uh, Guillermo Del Toro and George Romero, you know, just talking about Romero and with Del Toro basically interviewing him about his career, which is definitely interesting. Which is cool because they're both fascinating people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a archival interview with Jan White, who's the lead actress, The Secret Life of J- Jack's Wife, which is about 17 minutes long. Some three different alternate opening titles, more image galleries. Yeah, you got it. Um, once again, if you really gotta know, like, see the other really early stuff. Okay, this one is, it's okay, but yeah, it's nothing. It, the only, re- this would have been completely forgotten about if it wasn't for the fact that George Merrill made it. It's, it's for completionists. Now, one that has gotten a lot of shit over the years, and I think it's really not that bad a film, but it just doesn't, when you look at it versus Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead, you're like, wow, this pales in comparison, even though there's a lot of similar aspects, well, is the original 1973 film of the crazies, which also holds that distinction of being one of those few movies where the remake is significantly better. God than damn the it. Original. That was what I was about to uh, say. <laughs> the remake is great. Yes. I love the remake. It's really good. This original one, also known as Codename Trixie, uh, came out in 73. 
It's about a small American town that had accidentally a biological weapon released on them, and it's making them basically turn crazy, and some of them quite quite homicidal, uh, although not exclusively. Like, some oh, yeah. people are, some people aren't. You know, it's just they're, they're basically they're getting brain damage. They're going well, crazy. Yeah, the way they talk about it is it's like two-thirds of the people who get it are just going to go crazy. Yeah. And then, like, a tenth of the remaining third are going to just, like, go batshit homicidally insane, and everyone else just kind of dies. Yeah, yeah. But even if you're crazy, you can still be violent. It's just... You're just loopy and unpredictable. So it's with like the military have come in with all these scientists all wearing like, you know, the, the encounter suits and, and like are trying to round up everybody in the town into one place and they're trying to develop a vaccine. And meanwhile, some of the, you know, cause this is rural and some of the people are like, Oh, the government come in and try and take our guns and, 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 and they're trying to kill us and give us vaccines and blah, blah, blah. And so they're like, like teamed up and on the run and, you know, one by one, they're succumbing to this thing. And the question is kind of like they're saying, insinuate that maybe some people have a natural immunity to this thing. Well, and so the the part that I liked the most about this version of the crazies, and this was not in the new version. The mm-hmm. new version is like slick and it's, cool. it's straight horror. But this, I ended up really starting to watch the movie not as a horror, but as a comedy, mm-hmm. which was all about the bumbling military. Yeah, they're because, really incompetent. Like, every interaction you have with the military is them trying to get things done and not being able to. They make the stormtroopers from Star Wars look like crack operative yep. soldiers yep. by comparison. Uh, like, really there's do. a great running bit about having to authenticate your voice and passcode every time you call someone new. Yeah. And so everyone's losing their shit because it takes them 30 minutes to get someone on the phone two minutes walk away. Yeah. (laughs) There are some funny bits here, which are definitely like this movie is a very early seventies attack on government inefficiency and and distrust that was only natural to have at this point, you know, but there's enough that's funny that I actually, this did keep me going. I was like, this isn't a terrible movie. People talk about like it's the worst thing ever. I'm like, no, it's not bad. It's just, if you expect it to be as good as the premise sounds, it's not. Go see the remake. (laughs) The thing is that ultimately, and and again, I I go back to what I said in the beginning of this, is that at least at this point in time, and and I I feel bad because it's Romero, he's a classic, he's one of the great directors out there at least, and he's made some great films, but at this time at least, he was not that good a director. Yeah. And, I mean, part of it you can say is this naturalistic documentary style, but realistically... The action scenes aren't that thrilling. No. The, they're cut very awkwardly, but it ends up kind of being endearing and feeling like a studio film or a student film almost. Yes. And so that kind of made it work for it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, well, because it was going for a certain amount of cinema verite feel for yeah. a lot of it. Uh, the Blu-ray here comes with another commentary, uh, with a 12 and a half minute Romero was here locating the crazies, which is a, sort of a location guide, if you will. Um, crazy for Lynn Lowry, 16 minute look at the actress, a Q and A with Lynn Lowry, uh, which is 36 minute, uh, thing from 2016, uh, Abertoir, uh, Wow. That's a, it sounds like Abattoir, but it's not. It's the name of a town, Abertoir, uh, film festival. Um, in the UK, there's a audio interview, four and a half minutes with Lee Hessel, the actor. There's a behind the scenes footage for six and a half minutes with optional commentary, uh, alternate opening titles and image galleries. And once again, I think if you, I think even this film was given more shit than it deserves. And for a Romero completist, it's, com- it's 
really, it is worth a look. I, I agree. Like, the other, <laughs> this one of the three that we've talked about is actually worth watching. It's either going to work for you or it doesn't. One thing I will say, though, is that in this one, too, there are quite a few scenes where that makes you question George Romero's sexual politics. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially in today's day and age, with everything coming out that has, it made watching all three of these movies kind of... It feel a little icky. Yeah. Well, I mean, once again, it was also the 70s. True. Everyone was confused about yeah. what all that shit meant. So. Very true. Uh, all right. So these next two films you didn't get to see, but I threw them in here anyway. And I thought I was doing you a favor, but now one of these I wish you had actually seen because it's so absolutely insane. Aww. And that is the Greek zombie film Evil, colon, In the Time of Heroes, <laughs> uh, which is actually a apparently a, a prequel film to another film that was just called Evil that was a Greek zombie film. This, I've always heard, is the by far the better of the two. Uh, Billy Zane is in this fucking thing for some reason. Oh, Chris, fuck you. I would have watched the hell out of this. Uh, it's it's three days after the first movie, after we first seen this zombie apocalypse starting to happen, and it really kind of starts almost like Shaun of the Dead with people like just sort of wandering around oblivious that there's a zombie apocalypse happening. It's like a bunch of weirdos and hipsters and stuff, and uh, and it keeps flashing back to like ancient Greece where like these people are, are fighting pretty much the exact same fight against like very sort of, you know, your Romero-esque type zombies. Um, and Billy Zane is kind of like this spiritual leader helping them. Who's got magical powers and shit. And he keeps flashing that and then showing, Oh, now Billy Zane all hooded and shit is now in modern day. And he can like move really quick, like the flash and he can do various things with magical flying daggers and shit. And you're like, what is happening in this movie? And it's this huge cast of people who get killed a lot. And then the one guy who really, when the film starts with him, he's just died. He's been impaled on this, pole and like blood is pouring out of the pole which of course wouldn't make any sense because you're like well wait a minute yeah. but uh but it's okay but we all want to see that shot it's cool and then they're like and then he's back he's like i'm fine and that's a running thing like why is this guy how come he's the one guy who can't he every every time he dies which is multiple times he just comes right back and you're like what but not as a zombie like he's fine and then all these other characters, like I said, are just randomly getting killed in very creative and totally batshit insane ways. I mean, this is a massive splat stick comedy. Like, it is gory as all get out. But it's doing it for comedic purposes, and it's ridiculous. I mean, there's so much stuff you're like, that doesn't make any sense, and that's just so stupid. <laughs> but the movie itself is kind of like, oh, who gives a fuck? And playing it fast and loose, and okay. it moves really fast. And the old Billy Zane shit is just like, I don't know what's happening, but I approve. <laughs> his name is Prophetus? Uh, yeah, Prophetus Messenger. Messenger is his name, I know. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you about this one. It came out in 2009. I've been hearing about this one for years and trying to track down a copy, and it was never available. And just recently, they put it out on DVD where you can get it here. Um, I heard about it originally when it played Fantasia back in 2010. I, it's hard not to recommend this film to horror fans. It's one of those like, look, just, this is a get drunk with your friends and watch it type it, horror. I, so I firmly, I both don't believe in the so bad it's good. 
but what I do believe in are the movies that are ultimately bad movies, but you can tell the people who made it love the shit out of their That's, bad movies. It's this and kind of that, like and they, is, they were not trying to make a bad movie. They were trying to make a, oh, who gives a fuck? Let's just have a great time, yeah, everybody. That's awesome. I love and, like, those movies. Obviously made by a bunch of gore hounds who had seen every zombie movie ever made hundreds of times, and they just wanted to make their own tribute to it, and this is what you get, and it's... I've never seen anything else that looks like it. I mean, maybe it's a Greek <laughs> thing. I don't know. It's it's bizarre, but um, it is definitely worth a look. Less worth a look is the second film you did not get to see, but also w- with a premise that uh, that was enough that I asked them to send it to me. Because I have this thing. There's not very many horror movies that actually take place centered around a, a haunted house in terms of a haunt scare, like a Halloween haunted house. There's only a few. There's like Hell House LLC, which is on Shutter right now, and I do, in fact, really recommend. Thought it was really good. There is uh, the Houses that October built, which is not very good. Great premise, got get really stupid really fast, and then now, and maybe there's another one I don't know about, but the only other one I know of is Talon Falls, this new one out on DVD, where it's four really annoying teenagers, as you will, two couples, out on a road trip. Uh, they're at a redneck gas station with a creepy right out of like. You know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre type guy who would work at a gas station around there, uh, uh, attendant. They find a flyer on the wall for like a, one of those haunted houses that appears runs year round, I guess. Um, <laughs> and so they go to this thing, which is a full on screen park with a very impressive, I don't know if it was built around a real existing haunt or not, but it's impressive edifice they built for this thing. You're like, wow, this whole place is great. I would fucking live at this place on the weekends if it was near me. Um, it's deep in the woods in Southern Kentucky, which should be enough for you to know not to go at all. But they go in and they're doing all the things that annoying teenagers do, like fucking with the actors and acting like assholes and touching shit they shouldn't and then sneaking through a back private door to go make out or whatever. And, of course, it's revealed that the whole place is run by a bunch of murderous rednecks that uh, – like there's a sequence where they're going through and the window opens up and they see a person tied to a chair like, help me, help me. And then they're being tortured and parts of them being cut off. It's like, wow, this is amazing. And then, of course, later you're like, it's, oh, fuck, yeah. that was actually somebody who was like like us who came through. So you're telling me the moral of the story is read the waiver before you sign up? <laughs> I don't think anybody <laughs> cares about the waivers. I mean it's just like there's a lot of gore and that isn't bad and like there's a couple good jump scares. And like I said, the concept is interesting, but it's just so fucking implausible. You're like, wait, they built this huge fucking place that's going on for years, and they established hundreds and hundreds of teenagers are going missing in this thing, like, weekly. How the fuck do you stay in business, much less not arrested? Yeah. <laughs> it's so preposterous. I was like, come on, guys. You had to have found something else here. Like, maybe if they'd made it, we're like... Every year, we we have to sacrifice to some god we believe in eight teenagers or something, or, you know? or have the police be in on it. Yeah, have there be something bigger than just kill people it's, to go to a hospital? Yeah, house. but even if the local police are in on it, what difference does that make? Teenagers can't just go missing yeah, by the hundreds <laughs> like this without the FBI and other people getting involved. So, like, all right, whatever. Okay, premise that just didn't think it through clearly enough. Um, it's. You know, if you're if you're dying for like a cheap scare movie, it's better than a lot of the shit that's out there. Uh, and it, I, you know, yeah, whatever. Talon fails. Uh, but the action movie that I mentioned before that a lot of people are calling one of the best ones ones of the year is what we're talking about now, and that is the Villainess. This is a South Korean film. Just came out in 2017 in theaters, and now it's coming out on Blu-ray. It came out at Cannes Film Festival. In fact, this year was its world premiere. 
Uh, and this is directed by Young Byung Gil. I always know I'm saying all these names wrong. There's no way that I'm saying that correctly. So I apologize to everyone out there who's a big fan of uh, South Korean film, who's like, you're an idiot, uh, who also did Confessions of Murder in 2012, which was well thought of, if I am not mistaken. But uh, the villainess, all right, let's call it what it is. It's La Femme Nikita, but with book endings of like, Totally insane John Wick mixed with hardcore Henry type action. Yeah. It is uh, – wait, there's also a bit of Kill Bill in there. A little bit of Kill Bill, yeah. Uh, no, no. There we go. Yeah. John Wick within the key to Kill Bill. I mean, when the things- it, it, it's a little bit of a – it's a story told in tropes. Yeah. When the film starts, we see this this uh, from the viewpoint initially and then that eventually they sort of pull back from there of a female assassin who's just massacring hundreds of people in the, this, you know, giant building going up, you know, going upstairs and going around and just killing everyone who gets anywhere near her quite efficiently and yeah. very cool. Yeah. Uh, in well choreographed action. Oh, incredibly well choreographed action. And then it kind of flashes back to like, all right. So like where well, it goes to like, all right. So she like, like gets out, but then is arrested by the cops and is brought in to this very like in La Femme Nikita, young girl. Well, you've got some real skills, so we're gonna not sure where those skills came from to do all that, but <laughs> for the first place. But we're gonna bring you in and we're gonna train you in this whole thing. And so she ends up becoming. Uh, well, first of all, it turns out that from she she had a good reason for killing all these people, and it had to do with the person who put the baby in her that she was already carrying at that point. So we see that she's pregnant and she has ends up having a child, but at the same time, she part of the deal is for them not to just give her up to the cops. They, she's got to work for a period of time for them as yeah. a sleeper agent assassin on call. Well, and so, so first of all, oh my God, her daughter is the cutest little kid in the world. I just adore. Um, but. You, so this is the one that uh, we definitely have mixed feelings about, or at least me, uh, I feel very different than you do. Uh, I did not like this movie, hmm. but I respect the hell out of it. So like, the plot itself, it gets nonlinear very quickly where it was jumping back and forth in time. And I made the comment about it. It's a story told in tropes because I was watching the movie and, and – I'm usually a very big fan of South Korean cinema. They make great fucked up thrillers. Uh, but I had no idea what was happening in this movie. I kept losing the plot and mm. I would know what was happening in general because I would be like, Oh, this is the scene when this happens. So like clearly this is, Oh, this is the scene when her father dies because it's that sequence from Kill Bill. And this is the scene where we find out this is her husband because it reminds me of La Femme Nikita. And so I was able to follow it because of what tropes it was doing at that one point in time, but completely lost it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't have a problem. Maybe it was because like I thought it really closely followed the plot of La Femme Nikita at points. With even the like, she has a relationship with her handler, but it's a contentious relationship on some level. Yeah. And then she like like has a, is trying to have a regular life outside and meets a guy and they hit it off and has this romantic thing. But she keeps having to, I mean, even at her own wedding, go and assassinate a guy, yeah. you know, and you're like, it's this very La Femme Nikita well, moment. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that is an exact sequence. And I think they pretty much steal a shot from La Femme Nikita. Yeah. It's a great shot. Several shots. But that's but, the thing is like, I mean, La Femme Nikita was a long time ago, first off. Sure. Second, this is really well filmed, I thought. But what you're watching this for is the action scenes, especially. I mean, the first one, the front-loaded one, is great. The ending, which is like 20 minutes of nonstop 
how did they do that? Action scenes. Yeah. I was watching this and I still, I even watched the, like, there's like a two and a half minute making of, which will not answer your questions other than they claim they used almost no CG. Oh, bullshit. Which is, but that's the thing. Usually in like South Korean films, when they do, you can immediately yeah. go, that's okay. CG. I'll be damned if I could see any of the, the CG marks where they did. I think it was just r- really well done wire work. Well, so I'll, I'll say this, like, and we were kind of talking about this beforehand. So I both love the way they shot this movie because there's there's a shot during a motorcycle sequence mm-hmm. where the camera goes under a motorcycle and yeah. then up the other side. I legitimately don't know how they did that. Yeah. And, like, there were quite a few shots that, like you said, I was like, how? I just don't know so how you the achieve guy, like, that. That's amazing. kicks the guy out the door of the bus and he flies out the window Bounces off a car going full speed next to the bus and flies yes. off and hits the ground and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> but and, and the part I was talking about earlier was the flip side is at the same time, oh my god, did this make me this movie make me feel old? Because there's something uh, I don't know if it's the fisheye lens that they use to shoot those action sequences. So they got mainly in the mainly in or, the, the first one, yeah, yeah mainly in the than, first one, yeah. Or if they're what the visual trick was, but they do something. And it just messed with my head. And so I wasn't able to get into the action and I kept losing track of what was happening. Like basically, I feel like I need to go back and rewatch this movie after having talked with you about it because everything about this movie is normally the kind of thing I dig. Mm-hmm. Even the rip roaring revenge aspect of it. I love good revenge film, but it just did not work for me. And, and talking about the revenge. So. Again, I'll keep this vague so as not to spoil anything, but when you get to the point where kind of everything has happened that she is getting revenge for, and it leads into that final act, there's this kind of final uh, Beatrix talking to Bill conversation that she has with the guy. Yeah. And it occurred to me that in that entire conversation, she never once mentions all the people that this guy has killed that were important to her. And I was just like, but like, did you not care about them? They were alive like four minutes ago (laughs) in screen time. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe so. But I think by that point, my adrenaline was so high. I just didn't give a fuck. I was still just sitting there going, I have no idea how you filmed that last 20 minutes. There's just shots even with the, where was the camera? Yeah. I'm like going, there's all that fight scene on the bus stuff. I'm like, Where's the camera? They had to have had a little one on a rail or something that was programmed like by remote to move around. Cause I'm like, there's no, it makes it feel like this bus is huge, you know? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Like the, the camera's like doing full revolutions and going crazy and perfectly timed stuff inside of really elaborate action sequence inside a bus. And you're like, where's the camera? <laughs> oh, and I have to call it too. It is delightfully. Bloody as fuck. Oh, super bloody. So often when you get something this well choreographed, I found that it ends up not being that bloody. The kills are brutal. Oh yeah, like not like almost right there with Kill Bill squirting blood level of mm-hmm. great. Yeah, it was delightful. I mean, where's I agree? There's certainly like downsides in terms of like it's very reminiscent of some other films, especially La Femme Nikita, and the middle part does in fact drag. I felt like overall with the action stuff and the sense of style, I thought this was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We cannot agree. On that one. Fair <laughs> enough. All right. So we'll finish off with talk about uh, making you feel old. The third film in uh, Pixar's cars film, which is called cars three, uh, which when you watch it makes you go, 
Aren't you the same people who every other film you've done beside Cars is pretty goddamn good? Yeah. What What is going on with this Cars trilogy that makes it so thoroughly yeah. banal? Well, like, the the first one is... is banal. Passable. It's, yeah, I mean, I've never seen the second one. Everyone have, said that's by far the worst of the three. It's the worst Pixar movie ever made. And I will say, I actually thought this was a little more passable than the first one. But uh, not by not at Pixar standards of movie making either. Well, and... The problem that I ran into with this one is it just kind of feels like the story itself isn't really needed. Like, I don't feel like the main character learns any lessons. He's almost not the main character of his own movie. Yeah, like uh, Owen Wilson is yeah. Lightning McQueen. It definitely – it's it feels like they want to do what Toy Story 3 was doing, but they just don't have the writers to do it. Yeah. And which is that whole like, well, you know – there comes a time in life when you learn when it's time to move on and you're too mature or old to do what you used to do. And you have to find a new place for yourself in life, which is kind of the plot of the film. And you're like, well, that's sad and depressing, which would be great if it was a good movie, but it's a mediocre one. So I was just kind of irritated watching Owen Wilson, who's been beaten, being beaten on the track by all the new fancy souped up cars who are just by definition going faster than he's even close to being capable of doing. He's physically incapable well, of going faster uh, with, uh, what's his name? Uh, voice. Oh, Army Hammer is Jackson Storm, the first <laughs> of the new breed of arrogant, self-involved, really fast souped up cars. And it's like him on a quest to find out how to be faster with going to like a, with Nathan Fillion as a rich, uh, business, rich business car. It's weird to say that, uh, that, that sponsors him and says, yeah, we'll bring you to our top of the line training facility. And like, he's a minor character, uh, but really the, the main P person they try to get resonance is, uh, Cruz Ramirez, who is, uh, played by Cristela Alonso, who is his trainer and a racing technician who herself wants to be a racer, but has given up on her own dreams, which, I liked her. Like I really enjoyed her character. She's the strongest point of this. Yeah. That that thing between them is the strongest thing about this movie. Yeah. But like, if you like all the other side characters from these previous films, they're barely in this thing. Well, like, and- like thank God for Larry the Cable Guy not being in it very much. You know, <laughs> who only shows up every once in a while, like when they they literally have a phone call. Well, with each that was because he was the main character of the last one. Was he? Oh fuck! No wonder everybody <laughs> hated it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like this goes deeper into the origins of like you know Paul. Uh, uh, what's his name? Paul. I'm gonna keep wanting to Paul say Newman. Paul, Paul Newman. I kept wanting to say Paul McCartney, but that's not it. Paul Newman's character of Smokey. Like what? Uh, 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 or as Doc, what was his history? Where did he come from? Which is, I guess, if you really want to know more about the mythology of this world. But it, that, that's the problem I had with this movie. And it's, it is the eight foot thick barrier that keeps me from getting into any of this trilogy, mm. which is the world fundamentally just doesn't make sense to me. Sure. Like, I know that, I mean, you have Toy Story, you have Monsters Inc., you have this, Pixar has made a career or has made a studio out of, creating these kind of alternate realities to ours. Cars is the only one that fundamentally I don't understand how it can work. Right. There's just too many questions I have. And I spend the... I I keep doing that too. I'm like, everything doesn't matter. Like, toys talking, I'm fine with that. But something about the talking cars thing, I cannot suspend my disbelief for it. I don't know why. It's like... Because it begs questions. Because they they show half of something. So, like... Partway through the movie, there's a racer has a horrible wreck. Mm -hmm. And my immediate question is, wait, so, like, does he get repaired? 
Yeah. Wouldn't he be fine like an, a day later? And who repairs him? If he doesn't repair, does he just heal? Does that mean they're organic cars? Yeah. Like, like all those questions just come up. Plus, like, just, it doesn't make sense. Is this like after Terminator and the machines one? Because there's no humans. Well, it, I think we've officially decided it's the sequel to Maximum Overdrive. Okay, sequel That's to Maximum Stephen King Overdrive. Movie, yeah. That, like, this is long after that, but yeah. even those, they figured out how to make themselves at this point. Which, oh, no, no. And I, give I, themselves googly eyes. So, my headcanon is that the the hospitals and everything that we don't see is humanity as a slave race repairing <laughs> and building all these cars. <laughs> that would make sense. Or how about like the fact that because you're a car, you can't change, so it's inherently a classist society. Yeah. So if you're a racer, God help you if you want to be an artist because you're a Ferrari, bitch. There's nothing else you're ever going to be. Yeah, I feel like maybe that's it. It's the fact that even though all these things are attached to human culture – there's no humans and no sign there ever were humans. And that alone is kind of like, huh? Yeah. How does all this work then? Yeah. I don't know. Too many questions. Anyway, there's two Blu-ray discs here. There's a disc with the film with extra features and they actually included a second bonus disc along with, of course, digital copy and the DVD. But you get uh, the short film, which was par for the course up until Coco, which does not have a short film with at least not one that played at the press screening we went to. Uh, but for Pixar films to have a short film, and there's a little one called Lou here that's included here, which is about uh, this kid who's a bully at grade school who is who is given his uh, his what for by a a anthropomorphized pile of junk in the lost and found box uh, that comes to life and starts fucking with him basically. <laughs> and you're like, it's cute. It's not one of the essential shorts, but it was all right. Uh, you know, like, um, I don't know. I think that my BL end all for this is that. If you have kids, especially in the three to ten range, dude, get it. Your kids will love it. They'll watch it. You've yeah. already you already own it. Uh, if you're anybody else, you probably don't need to see this. And God help me, people, please let's find something new. I have like two and a half more years before my son can watch things like this, <laughs> and I really don't want to have to watch Cars over and over no, and over. Well, you again. start building up a collection of all the stuff that he should watch. I already do. Yeah, fair, I already fair have enough. That. Fair enough. Yeah, you're like, I'm getting all my Miyazakis. <laughs> I got my Miyazakis and my Godzillas. I'm ready. Uh, there's a lot of extra features on here, half of which are dedicated towards people who really want to know more about animation and how it works. The technical side, the other half are really pointed at kids to have extra stuff to look at here. So, you know, which, you, get, you get both, and there's actually 20 26 minutes of deleted scenes, which is crazy for an animated film, right? Well, that, it, yes, completely. I actually still question, though, because I didn't watch any of the deleted scenes. Are they, are they I, animatics? I didn't or, watch okay. <laughs> Usually it's half and half, but I did hear that this was the film that went back through massive editing. Well, so. I was going to say, and with a lot of the special features being about animation, that's cool because as much as I have my issues with the Cars franchise, they're gorgeous. Like yeah, the animation no. here is amazing. Oh, it's, I mean, yeah, it's still Pixar. And it's still like flawless animation. It's well, just like the, there's that teaser trailer, which was just the wreck that he has halfway through the movie. Mm-hmm. And it, up until that, I remember that it was the Cars franchise, and it doesn't work for me usually. That teaser trailer worked. It was yeah. gorgeous. I agree. Um, but yeah, I mean, like. Your mileage may vary, I guess is what we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Digital Noise episode. Thank you so much for joining me, Aaron. That was my pleasure. And I will be back with somebody in probably about a week and a half, two weeks, uh, for more Digital Noise titles. Thank you for listening. What 
Service.net has been your one-stop shop for all things geek for years. But there's a side to them many of you have never heard. The subscription side. Subscribe and listen to great podcasts like The Breakfast Pub, The Original Gentleman, and the Watch a Movie With Us series. Head on over to oneofus.net and don't forget your towel.